0: So I've been in the pastoral ministry, been in pastoral ministry in a local church since 1977, and really since '75. And I was reading this week about one. Turn to First Timothy chapter one, one. Solomon Stoddard, who was the pastor of First Church, Northampton, Massachusetts, from 1669 to 1729, 60 years, one church, he was 26 when he began, you could do the math. And I'll inject him into my message today. I worked real hard on this message yesterday, and then I threw it away. By the way, I'm a strange preacher. I throw away all my messages. Literally, every time I come into the pulpit, I start over. doesn't mean I don't repeat myself. Or steal my old materials. It's in there. But there's no file of sermons to be had. First Timothy chapter one. Hallelujah. Verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and in my unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, in that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those were to believe in him for eternal life to the king etern- king of ages immortal invisible the only god be honor and glory forever paul gives to his son timothy a little testimony and then in second timothy Amen. I'll take all the help I can get. I'll come to 2 Timothy in a minute, but first that. Um, I wouldn't have known Solomon Stoddard's name except for my interest in the Great Awakening. Solomon Stoddard was replaced in his 86th year by one Jonathan Edwards, who also was his grandson. He wrote one time, there are some special seasons wherein God doth in a remarkable manner revive religion among the people. God doth not always carry on his work in the church in the same proportion. As it is in nature, there be great variations. So there be times wherein when there is plentiful effusion of the spirit of God and religion is in a more flourishing condition. In 60 years of pastoring the first church of Northampton, Massachusetts. Solomon Stoddard had experienced five such occasions when in his church, the plentiful effusion of the spirit of God moved across the people. Now listen, this is fascinating. He lived in a time when plagues swept across the land Specifically one plague, the smallpox plague. And so here's how it worked. Um, smallpox would come, virtually everyone would get it. Um, in, less, in, in changing proportions, people would survive until finally uh, in, in the last one that came during his lifetime, only, only one in only one in six people died that contacted it. But smallpox was one of those things that uh, you talk about no respect or persons. Uh, what we hear now, uh, nowadays, what we hear so much is how the, the, uh, the colonialists came and brought smallpox and committed genocide against the, the natives. And it's not without merit that there were some bad actors who intentionally infected native peoples over time. But that was not the, the case of it. It was a disease that no one could control. And it swept across populations. And what it did was it would, it would come and sweep across a population. It would be gone. And then a generation would rise up who did not have it. And it would come again. And unlike what we're experiencing with COVID-19 that takes the people older than me, my age and mostly older in the greater proportion Smallpox took the young. And you talk about sorrow on top of sorrow. But in the midst of that, there was another wave that would sweep across the people. And it was a wave of the Spirit of God. When I was a younger man, I used to think that America had not had, had not been a land of revival. And I and I was so jealous of England because I studied the revivals of England. And oh, the outpourings of the spirit that would come upon Calvinist believers in, in, uh, in Scotland and Ireland. And Wales was called the land of perpetual revival. And I would be so jealous. And then in my studies, I've become more warm to the understanding that, that it was also true of America. And I have to tell you, I'm not a preacher that says America is a Christian nation. God can do better than that. But I am a man who says that one of the working narratives within the American population has always been Jesus is Lord. And I found that as I'm looking at it, it's not unlike smallpox in that Periods of time go where it seems like the church is dormant in its fervor. Or revival will hit a generation, and then revive people who got hit with revival will raise a generation that are that are trained in precept but not power. And always the generation. The generation who has, a, who has, if you have a, a generation of revivalist parents, you are so much more likely to be resentful children. Because you've gotten the precepts of the teachings of the word of God, but not the power. And so every generation has to taste for themselves. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I've come to realize how not unlike Paul I was and that I was one of those uh, whom Jesus just stabbed me broad awake right out of my sleep. Yeah, there's a picture for you. And I've spent most of my life in frustration that I don't see that everywhere. And now I find myself... Five decades into Christian ministry. So hungry for God to do it again. And I come across this wonderful example of Solomon Stoddard. Laboring in one church 60 years in five precious seasons, in 60 years, the spirit swept across his church with such fervor that many were born again. But you see, because, listen, Christianity, genuine Christianity is a new heart, not a moral code. Genuine life in Jesus it's not the precepts we follow, but the person we will trust. Hallelujah. That's kind of all I wanted to tell you. As usual, I'll go on. I'm going to talk to you about Edwards probably the next, the next time I'm in the pulpit. By the way, um, Steve Dragswolf's going to preach to you next week. Yeah. How capable are these souls that the Lord has given us? Even in a time of such big transition. How capable we have these younger voices, Second Timothy. I remind you, verse 6, 2 Timothy 1. I remind you, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. I'm struck as I'm reading this to you that Paul had no idea that all over the world. I'm certain of it. People would take his letter that he spoke to a son and we would open it and say this is the word of God. But this is what God does. I'm certain that Paul knew something of the significance of who he was and what he was about but nothing of the impact that God was giving him. And I want this to be implanted in you. I want you to understand that your life, however meager in your eyes, is seed sown by the sower. And I want you to understand that that you won't likely know the measure of it by the spending of your years. Once in a while, God allows somebody that he speaks to to see the outcome of his words. I think of Joseph just now, though even Joseph only saw a meager portion. But for most of us, our lives will be a sower with seed. there's anything we want is that we want our life to be worth something. I don't think people come to church unless they want their life to count. I don't think this is something you do with your time. I think you come here and you breathe the air and you receive of the spirit and you receive of the word. And you allow the eternal things of God to be implanted in you. And you hope that it will flow forth from you. I tell you, most of it will be unconscious. And I often pray, oh Lord, give us unconscious holiness. And that we would live lives that we spend so little time contemplating our significance. Look. Paul is speaking to a young man that he knows needs some encouragement. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose of grace in which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed as a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. This is why I suffer as I do. I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard Until that day, what has been entrusted to me, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And always with the gospel, guarding is not keeping, but (laughs) sowing. Guarding is not hiding, but giving away. I'm having this strange experience of looking through the window and seeing the years of my life stacked on a table out there for giveaways. I walked out there for just a moment yesterday before the service began, and I looked at my children and said goodbye to them. And for a moment, I remembered some of the times when when the voices in those pages spoke to me and helped me. And I had always thought that there would come a time in my life when I would just bequeath my whole library somewhere, you know, and it would be like a big deal, right? Because we always start thinking about significance. And now books are like worthless Paul said, uh, you're my epistles. Hallelujah. There's not one of you here that doesn't believe that our God is so in control that he has this thing and he's gonna make it come out right. There's also not one of you in here that hadn't spent times in the quiet and the darkness of your night wondering what will become of you in the midst of it and what will it cost us and despairing. Probably there's not also some of you that that sat in the darkness and said, am I really for real yours, Lord? I hope you do it if you haven't done it. Because what O Solomon Stoddard and those Puritan preachers would do is they would preach the precepts of the Word of God week after week, day after day, year after year. But once in a while, they would take a look at the church and they would say, we've fallen into laxity. We're casual about our sin. The fear of God is not among us. And they would go and grieve and then they would come to public and they would stir their church up and say, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Which is the exact words of Paul, by the way. They would call upon the people that they preached to every week to take a, to take a moral and spiritual inventory to see whether they really be of a new heart or are they just of resolved convictions. And they would stir people up by way of dissatisfaction. And the spirit would be poured out again. In Solomon Stoddard's day, there was not a lot of manifestation of the spirit that they were comfortable with in terms of gifts of the Holy Spirit. But in Solomon Stoddard's day, they were well aware of the religious affections that would come upon people. And so this man in 60 years saw five winds of the Spirit blow through his church that people have recorded and talked about. Maybe more, maybe. But five that we know about. Unusual numbers of people confessing Christ and being born again. And always when those things would happen, even 400 years ago, People would look at the way people act when the the power of God fell upon them and they would say, is that God or is that man? And it was none less than Solomon Stoddard who raised up Jonathan Edwards. And Edwards would be the man who 10 years after that horrible outbreak of smallpox that I told you about last week with Cotton Mather getting involved in it, Ten years later, it would be Jonathan Edwards who would throw the flame on the dry wood and the power of God would come. Hallelujah. Yes, it's happened in America. I'm looking at this immediate season and I'm saying, oh God, what's gonna become of us Has there ever been a generation who so uh, profoundly said those words of that parable, we will not have this man to rule over us? That's what we're living in. A generation that denies the nature of marriage and the nature of human beings and the nature of Uh, binary values on people. A, A generation that says we won't get our identity from heaven, we'll get it from earth. We won't get our identity from who we are in the Holy Spirit, but from who we are in the flesh and who we are in the confusion of our own mind and heart. A generation that says we will not have this man to rule over us. There's never been in my lifetime a greater manifestation of Antichrist spirit than what we're seeing right now. And so I hear people talking about what's going on now and sometimes I hear them saying, well, it's gonna be a great revival. And I go, really? People, the ones that work with me have heard me even say it. There's not any, there's nothing but wet wood here. <laughs> but oh, we have to always come back to the fact that the designer built a design that won't work. We come into this world, batteries not included. There has to be a moment when, when the when the external touch comes to generate a new power within us, and. People have a witness inside themselves that won't be satisfied. Yes, I agree with the guy, the social critic that I know who are saying we're living in the the midst of a godless great awakening. That is to say, there's a religion rising among us, but it's a religion that denies an external God and deifies the the, the individual and individual identification and individual power. There's also a religion among us that that has a, a very strong view of sin, except this. The identification of sin is a stain that cannot be removed. This is the great, this is the great agony. This is the reason I mentioned to you Joseph. Because Joseph is the man that was most sinned against by his brothers and lived a virtual a virtual well he lived the years of his vital youth with one loss after another one suffering after another one injustice after another but then in the moment of vindication which could have been the moment of his revenge oh he turned it into the moment of redemption and i know this so i know this this godless great awakening won't work because it doesn't change hearts. It won't work because it can't remove sin. It won't can't remove the stain. It won't work because it cannot fill the hole. And so I go, yeah, maybe. Who has known the mind of the Lord who's been his counselor? I know this and you have to hear me. No political party can bring it. No political leader can bring it. The thunder from heaven can bring it. The fire from the altar can bring it. I grew up in that generation where people all over this country were rejecting their parents' values, rejecting the American dream, rejecting their families, and leaving and living in communes. The Jews from the Northeast traveling to New Mexico and living living in communes out here. All kinds of things happening, the tumultuous upheaval of culture. And in the midst of those places, God began to speak to people like he spoke to me. You understand I didn't generate myself or speak to myself or call myself into existence. I heard the voice like the sound of many waters. And in those days, it was amazing because I I tell you, I tell you, it was honey from the honeycomb. It just flowed and And people got saved in massive, amazing numbers. And we went, where did this come from? Well, that was 50 years ago. Hallelujah. Do it again, Lord. Let's stand together. I'm gonna represent to you Jesus and we're gonna receive the communion. So if you'll prepare yourself. If you need the elements, Steve is passing among you. Did you hear me? I said I'm gonna represent. We're we're gonna end the sermon by you doing the gospel. The gospel is something we do. And so... I was feeling a lot of frustration. I'm, I'm, I am feeling a lot of frustration. Feeling a lot of pain, aren't you? Listen to me, tell, I'm going to just tell you, I'm in pain. My soul is on fire. And I wish it was the fire of revival, it's not, it's torment. But you know what alleviates it? To declare the goodness of God in the land of the living. To speak of the good things that God has done for me. To remember this, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. To stir up again the gifts of God that are in me. By the laying on of other hands. Strengthening myself in the Lord. Remembering the testimony of the saints. And doing again the gospel. Communion is doing the gospel. And when the church receives the communion, the whole church is declaring Jesus. Because the whole church is partaking of his flesh and partaking of his blood. And they're saying, this is the real food. This is the real drink. And, and the idea of God is that in this, you'll be renewed. In this. And so you're in a, you're in a service where one preacher gets to declare his testimony in a, in a broad way. But your testimony is being declared in the taking of the bread and the receiving of the cup. And so I say to you, church, this is the body of Christ. This is Jesus He gave himself for us and gives himself to us. And in Jesus' name, we say thank you and receive. What overcomes death? Life overcomes death. Where is the life? In his blood, not ours. And so he went into death that we might come out of death in life with him. He makes us alive. This is the blood of Jesus. This is the blood of the everlasting covenant. This is Jesus giving himself to you. Receive him, church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't ever want to pastor a church that doesn't have guys like that. In fact, lately, uh, in the services, and not, not so much on Sunday morning, but Saturday night, lately, there's like more chaos. And I'm like, gosh, this is like it was when we began. Maybe the Lord's stirring us up. And I find myself feeling less need to 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 sort it out. And more need to go, no, no, run. Shake your tambourine. Blow your shofar. Yeah, I said all those things. (laughs) Uh, Dance across the room. Paint. Cry out. But most of all, if he reaches you, reach back to him. And so this morning... If he has reached out to you to stir you, reached out to you to comfort you, I want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. We are the body of Christ. and We're going to lay hands on one another, even as Paul laid hands on Timothy. So we're going to be careful. We'll wear our mask. We'll touch you on your shoulder. Or we won't touch you at all. If you need prayer and you come and you say, do this that means don't touch me just pray for me because we're going to take care of one another so I said a lot of the things I said today last night and a lot of things different but most of all what I come home and remember is that Gail said let me tell you about the lady I prayed for was it her brother Gail and her mother had both died from COVID Think she needed a touch from heaven? You bet So don't don't you leave here still needing a touch from heaven So if there's anyone that needs prayer Stephen's going to begin to sing and I want you to come and if you need prayer we'll, we'll have someone pray for you